Hello, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be around the nation or around the world. I am your host, Dane, for the Spectral Skull Session, broadcasting today from an undisclosed location. In contemporary American television and movies and video games, fairies are represented as diminutive feminine humanoids with insect-like wings. The classic 1953 Disney film Peter Pan features a small fairy named Tinkerbell who secretes an enchanting powder that enables humans to fly. You might also have your conception of fairies shaped by the popular Legend of Zelda video games, which frequently featured tiny pixie-like fairies who could restore your character to health or even bring him back from the dead. But the good people of Ireland, as the fairies are called, are not like the friendly sprites from American fiction. They're certainly not something you can grab and squeeze like a sponge to steal their enriching energy. They're often not described as small. They don't have wings. They look more or less just like us. And they often behave just like us until they don't. And then it gets weird. As we will see today, the fairies are sometimes good, sometimes evil, and more often than not, neutral and fiercely dangerous creatures. But what are they? We want to know what phenomenon is causally responsible for the existence of fairy stories. It's been said that there are memories of the Druids who used to frequent the Celtic parts of the world said that there were a pygmy race that may have lived in Ireland at one time, or that their spirits, perhaps evil spirits. I, I want to leave it to you today, but I will suggest that maybe the very question of whether the little people, the good people, or the gentry, as they're sometimes called, whether they're a real phenomenon is the wrong way of looking at it. Maybe the little people are an alternative way of mapping reality. Thesis I will develop at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Do you ever have this problem? You're getting ready for a long walk in the woods and you want to roll a spliff of smokable herb. You've got your herb in the bathroom. You're rooting around in your toiletries kit for medical scissors so you can chop it up nice and fine. 
but then you have to go get a plate from the kitchen. When you're all done, it's a mess. You've got herbs all over the bathroom, your hands smell like herb, you've got to wash all this stuff and put it back. It takes forever to get out the door, you're not vibing. You gotta light that spliff up before you can feel at peace. Ugh. Luckily, Happy Trees has a solution. A premium-grade stash box from Happy Trees. That's happytreesupplies.com. Happy Trees sells a convenient lockable stash box. It comes with a four-piece titanium grinder that will give you the smooth grind you've been looking for. The 50 diamond cut teeth grinds your herb to the perfect size for cones and rolls. The neodymium magnets keep the lid on tight while you grind. There's also a stash jar, which will protect your herb from damaging UV rays and keep moisture in so your stash stays fresh. The airtight seal helps keep smells inside so you can save them for yourself. There's also a metal rolling tray so you can save every precious bud. And everything fits snugly into the box. Plus it has a key so your nosy roommate or your little brother isn't poking around in your stash. They come in three varieties. There's the Metatron's Cube-themed box that has Metatron's Cube etched on the box and every accessory. Metatron's Cube is a sacred image associated with the angel who translates the directives of God into a form comprehensible to humans. This is according to the Kabbalah. There's also a Desert Visions-themed box. It has colorful desert scenes painted onto the accessories. And for those of you who prefer plain, there's a box made of bamboo that is just adorable. I have my own Happy Tree stash box. Yes, I use it to hold my stash. I absolutely love it. These boxes range from $38.90 to $28.90 on the website, happytreesupplies.com. But now Happy Trees is offering a special deal to anyone who listens to this show. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL20 for a 20% discount. What are you waiting for? Skip the mess, get organized, and preserve your stash from degrading ultraviolet light and snoopy little thieves who try to make off with your herb. Check out happytreesupplies.com. That's happytreesupplies.com. Welcome back. The stories about the we people, good people, or gentry of Ireland and the larger Celtic world are so interesting. So this is uh, an excerpt that I'm taking from Meeting the Other Crowd, colon, The Fairy Stories of Hidden Ireland by Eddie Lenahan and Carol Eve Green. Because it's an excerpt, I'll give you some context. The story is the story of a priest who goes out at night to administer uh, the last rites. So he's going to bless a dying man. He's been summoned by his parishioners. He brings his curate, who is the younger assistant priest. And on his way, he encounters a strange man who has a hood over his face, and he's playing sweet music on something like a fiddle. And this man asks the priest, can you go talk to the dying and ask him, what's going to happen to the good people on the day of judgment? So the priest goes, to speak to the dying man. It's the middle of the night, and it begins, quote, The man was still the same way he had been before, inside in the bed, stretched, not moving. The priest, he went to the bedside, down on his knees, and whispered into the dying man's ear, What's going to happen to the good people on the day of judgment? I don't know what he expected, 
but by God, he got an answer. The man in the bed, his eyes opened up as wide as saucers, and he began to pull himself up on the pillow. The priest jumped back. Father, says he, isn't it a strange thing? But I was just thinking about that same thing myself. I'm glad to hear it, says the priest. But can you give me an answer? I can. Do so, like a good man. I will. Ah, God. He was going to swear, you know, but he didn't. Cool man. In God's holy name, will you tell me whatever you know? Said the priest. Silence for a minute. Then he stared at the priest and said, All I'll tell you, Father, is this. If one drop of blood be found in their veins on the day of judgment, the good people will see the face of God. What? One drop of blood, Father, that's all. And with that, he fell back on the pillow, dead. The priest, he said a prayer, blessed him, then out, quick, to the kitchen. He beckoned the curate, and off they went, the two of them, out and down the passageway left the people there wondering what in the name of God was going on. They came to the gate, turned right for Cushing, and headed home. But when they did, there was a horse and trap in the middle of the road, and in front of the horse's nose was the stranger. He held up his hand. Well, father, says he, did you get my answer? I got an answer all right, but I don't know if tis the one you want. Didn't make much sense to me, said the priest. Ah, says he, so you have it. He started towards them, but the priest held up his hand. No, no, he says, no nearer. Stay where you are and I'll tell you what I know. He stopped a couple of yards from him, but they could see that he had a wrinkled face underneath his cowl. Tell me, he said. The priest began. He said, if one drop of blood could be found in their veins on the day of judgment, They'd see the face of God. Does that make any kind of sense to you? One drop of blood, says the lad. Only one drop. He stared at the priests again, and it frightened them. The look in his eyes. They thought something bad was coming. But no, all he did was put down the fiddle on the road, and then the bow across it, very neat. And when he straightened up, so they were so busy watching his face, that they never saw his hand going down to his belt. It was only when he pulled up a dagger and held it out before him that they jumped back. Sure, he was going to attack them, but not a bit of it. All he did was hold it there at his full arm's length, nodding away at it all the time, like he'd be thinking to himself. And then, while they were still wondering what to do, he struck that knife straight into his chest, pulled it out, and stabbed himself again, and again, Twelve times in all he stabbed himself, and not a drop of blood. What came out of him was thick green stuff, like stewed apple, for all the world. He looked at the knife, and then at the priests again, then flung it into the darkness. He turned around, and they could see a fierce change in his eyes now, something they didn't want any part of. Father, says he, for the last five thousand years and more, I and my people are traveling the roads of Ireland. And all that time we never did harm to man, woman, child, or any living creature, only playing sweet music for all of them in the dark, hurting no one. But from this time on, Father, there'll be no more music. He turned to the fiddle and bow then, where they were left on the road. Then he jumped on him, danced down on him, until he had matches made of him. 
There'll be no more music, father, but there'll be this. He stepped into the dark, picked up the knife, and held it under their noses. Go home. Tell your people what you saw and heard here tonight, and tell them that anyone we catch on these roads after dark anymore, this is what they'll get. Now that I know that we're never to see the face of God, we have nothing to lose. So make sure you have your message right, Father, because there'll be no other warning. He turned into the darkness then, and they saw no more of him. In my research on the good people for this episode, this story stood out as representative, not because the fairy people are here strongly implied to be damned, uh, demonic, and at odds with the Christian world, although those themes did reoccur, but what was most representative to me was the weirdness. These fairies are preternatural or supernatural, but they also are interacting with humans in a strange way. So here we have the fairy wants the priest to get him some information from a dying man. Now, why would this dying man be in a unique position to uh, be able to report on whether fairies can be saved? Um, perhaps because he's got one foot in the next world already, which suggests a larger spiritual world that humans and fairies are both in some way co-participating in. And then you have, of course, the threat and you have the weird anatomy that there's no blood in this bean, right? It has green stuff like apple, like cooked apples. It seems that when you encounter the fairy people, you're stepping into a whole nother world. Uh, there are different rules and anything can happen, which makes it hard to analyze fairy stories. But I did find certain recurring features. I looked at about four different books the one that I just mentioned, though, uh, Meeting the Other Crowd, this was the best compilation of primary sources. So here are some things that I picked up on fairy people from reading a couple different books and sort of getting a sense of uh, what stable features they have. First of all, they're mysterious, often nocturnal humanoids, sometimes described as three foot tall or four foot tall, um, sometimes described as wizened but frequently described as being more or less like normal humans. A recurring theme was that they're good-looking people. So sometimes it was said that they just they look better than us. They're just great-looking people. Um, it's like if you had just a collection of models together, you know, maybe they would look like the good people. This is also part of why they're often called the gentry. Uh, they're, they look like they're aristocratic. They're a fine people, a noble people. Uh, I couldn't find any point where they were described as looking ill or sickly. And so uh, the description from that story I just read where the man is, has a wizened face and he's, he's got like a withered looking face. And that is a little bit of an exception. So where are these weird people living? Apparently they live in what are called fairy forts, which are all over Ireland. There's believed to be 30 to 40,000 of these sites that the locals say are fairy forts and uh, you don't want to disturb them. The fairies live in them or beneath them. They're sometimes called raths, or I'm probably mispronouncing this. It's Leos, L-I-O-S. And the so-called mainstream historians and archaeologists acknowledge these fairy forts, but say that they are just prehistoric forts 
um, we've lost the records or there were never any records kept at all, but that they're just ring forts or mountain forts or stone circles that were built sometimes as far back as 600 BCE. In Ireland, it's illegal to demolish these sites. I'm a little confused about this because, so I read that it was illegal, but I also read that some Irish uh, businessmen have been said to have been ruined because they moved the sites. They moved them or they disrupted them in some ways. Numerous stories about people who go to cut down the trees that grow on them or the bushes. They tend to have something called whitethorn grows around these fairy forts. Uh, you cut it down. You might get an omen. The, the whitethorn tree might bleed like a human. And if you don't heed that and you persist in tearing things down, something terrible will happen to you. For example, this 2011 Irish developer went bankrupt, and it's widely believed that that was because of his disruption of fairy forts. So they come at you in a variety of ways, as we'll see in this episode. There's a variety of different tools they have for making your life unpleasant. They seem to move between these forts along what are called fairy paths. Um, the paths often just literal circuitous paths that go from one fairy fort to another. You might think that these are um, just like animals. Maybe animals are moving from one place to another, but it would certainly be very strange to see these paths connecting fort to fort. Didn't find good uh, mainstream confirmation that you can actually find what appears to be footpaths going from fort to fort. But I did find people talking about um, lights they see at night, and that's how you know that that's where the fairy path is. There'll be a light that frequently travels along a particular route. Those lights reminded me of what we call orbs, right? Or spirit lights or will-o'-wisps. Um, weird lights. And in the world of the fairy folk, the good people, these are just the things they use to illuminate their path as they walk around. So you don't get to see them, but you might see their light. Uh, if you build on a fairy path, that's problematic. And many poltergeist-type events in Ireland are said to be due to the fairy people. The solution to being haunted after you've built on a fairy path is just to give the fairies an easement. So one story I read, a man was having his furniture move around at night. It was keeping him up, ruining his ability to work. So he put a door, a little fairy door in the front of the house and a little fairy door in the back. And after that, they were quieter as they moved through the house and it wasn't so difficult for him. However, once a year, they would kill one of his cows, a fact that he just accepted as the cost of uh, having built on a fairy path. They are frequently described as having a parallel culture to us humans, a culture that in many ways is like ours, but then when you get into the nitty gritty, you find weirdly off details. So here's an example. A man was basically taken by the fairy people. They recruited him to referee a soccer match. And he finds that they follow the same soccer rules as us. So he does his best as he can to referee. He decides that he's afraid of offending them. He's afraid they might hurt him if he lets one team win or the other. So he referees in such a way that it comes out a draw. And the fairies thank him profusely. And they say, oh, you're great. You're a great ref. We hope you can come back and do it again. And he says, sure, I'll be happy to referee anytime you want, and then changes his whole life so he can avoid that road. Uh, in another story, a young woman is taken in the middle of the night to attend a fairy party. 
It turns out, though, that the fairy party revolves around a woman who's giving birth. She's giving birth in an adjacent room. So they ask this young kidnapped woman, this human, to go midwife the fairy who's giving birth. The baby, however, is born, born stillborn, so it's born dead. And then she watches in horror as the attending fairies grab the corpse and throw it in the fire. Then the party continues. And at the end of the party, as they're leaving, the fairies all dip their hands into the ashes. The ashes, then they, they mix them with some water. Then they have a kind of font, or like a baptismal font, but it's got the ashes of this burned fairy child in it. And they rub this uh, horrible stuff into their eyes. And the woman does it too. She only gets one eye before they stop her. Then they return her home. They give her some fairy gold to compensate her for her work, suggesting that they're not so bad, right? Years later, she's at a cattle fair. Who should she see? It's the fairy people again, the ones from the party. And she flags them down, and they're shocked. And they come up to her and say, you can see us? And she says, yes. And they say, can you see us out of both eyes? And she closes one eye and then the other. And she realizes she can only see the fairies out of the one eye that she smeared with the ashes of the dead fairy baby. Upon learning this, the fairies say to her, now you don't. And they poke out her fairy eye. From henceforth, she only has one good eye. The other eye doesn't see anything. As horrifying as this story is, it illustrates the weird nature of the good people. Having a kind of party to celebrate the birth of a child sounds normal, but then there's this dark twist. The baby is born dead, and they quickly burn it, and then ritualistically put the body to use. I also read about a young man who attended a fairy wake, a funeral. He stands around awkwardly and makes small talk with some of the fairy children, and they're able to talk about the usual stuff, farming, milking cows. But um, when he goes to the funeral proper, they say many of the same prayers that he knows from his own church, but they leave out any reference to the resurrection of the dead. Strong implication here being that the good people do not see themselves as eligible for salvation, at least not Christian salvation, as we noted in that first story. Uh, the fairies seem to have a real need for humans to come and show up at their events. So they'll frequently kidnap a person just to make them attend a fairy event. If that should happen to you, it's important that you know, don't eat their food. Another recurring feature of these fairy stories is that if you eat their food, then you'll be trapped in their world. It reminds me of Persephone in the Greek story who is kidnapped by Pluto and taken to the underworld. And she knows that as long as she doesn't eat, she has a chance of getting back. Remember in that story, Pluto gets her to eat a couple seeds of a pomegranate. And then that is why she has to go back. I think it's six months every year, which is why we have winter. Because Persephone is dragged into the underworld for six months of the year. And her mother, Demeter, goddess of nature, then refuses to uh, grow anything for six months because she's angry and upset. So interesting parallel there, something about not eating the food if you ever get taken into the fairy world, which would suggest that it's like a spiritual world or an underworld, right? But that's at odds with the way these fairies act like humans. Or is it all just for show? Do they just pretend to be like us, a kind of devil, devilish mockery of human ritual? No idea. 
but it's very interesting. I did find one story from The Science of Fairy Tales, An Inquiry into Fairy Mythology by Edwin Sidney Hartland. Describes a man who does eat with the fairies, and he comes back. So I'll read this. <clears throat> a man in Brecknockshire went out to look after his cattle and sheep, but disappeared. Three weeks later, after the search parties had all given up, the man reappeared at home. His wife asked him where he had been for three weeks. He said, three weeks. Is it three weeks you call three hours? Pressed to explain, he said he had been playing his flute in the woods when he was surrounded by little beans like men who closed nearer and nearer to him until they became a small circle. They sang and danced and so affected him that he lost himself. They offered him some small cakes to eat, which he partook, and he had never enjoyed himself so well in his life. So that man appears to have been lucky. He only ate a few cakes, and then he only disappeared for three weeks. Well, other people disappear forever. And I found many stories where a person gets taken by the fairies to attend an event. While attending the event, they encounter other humans who say, don't eat the food, that's why I can't ever go back. So that was a pretty consistent theme with these fairy people. They make excellent music if you do attend one of their events. They're also excellent dancers. And as I said, they're beautiful people. Most of the time they're described as beautiful. So it sounds like if you do attend a fairy event, have a good time, just don't eat anything. I've already mentioned how uh, vindictive they can be as a consistent theme. In one story, uh, I found a man witnessed a, a horrible wheel that would roll through his fields at night. On closer inspection, it turned out this wheel was, wait for it, an eel. An eel with its own tail in its mouth, which many listeners will recognize as a symbol, the Oribus, from the Gnostic religion, a symbol of the circular nature of the cyclical nature, sorry, of our reality, the way we're trapped in a cycle of death and rebirth. That's a whole nother thing, a whole nother episode. But interesting that this man sees an eel with its tail in its mouth and it's rolling around like a hula hoop. The man becomes so disturbed, he sees this thing every day at the end of his uh, shift. He decides to slash it with a scythe. And then he kills it and he brings this giant eel home to show his wife to prove to her that he hasn't just been drinking on the job and hallucinating. So she believes him, but uh, the next day, the fairy people have rigged a booby trap outside his home. They take his foot off, so he ends up losing his foot as retribution for having sliced this um, really weird thing, this rotating fairy wheel, which is apparently an eel with its tail in its mouth. So don't do stuff like that. If you encounter these uh, weird phenomenon associated with the fairy people, you should just leave it alone and avoid it. So some advice here. They can't cross running water, and they hate iron. So those might be beneficial to you. They also say don't speak ill of them. That's why we call them the good people. So be respectful. That will also keep you in their good graces. And lastly, the worst night of the year for fairy encounters is Halloween. But also, I'm sorry, it's Halloween is bad, but um, the last night of April is also uh, equally bad as Halloween. So be aware, this podcast is going to drop... Um, 423, so it's just a week before um, fairy people will be out again in force. If you read these Irish or Celtic tales, um, you'll also find some other entities associated with the fairies. Like I mentioned in that first reading, there's like a whole world of weirdness that sort of happens around them, which I think is part of why it's appropriate to call them fairy tales. There's often elements of a quest 
People have adventures they go on. I found one story about a man who discovered a secret password that would allow him to get picked up by the fairies, and then they would take him to watch fairy sporting events. All he had to do was say, a cap and a horse for me, when he heard their phantom horses go by, and he'd get picked up by them. Although another weird twist in the story was that he would say that he had trouble seeing them and sounded as if he mostly would just hear it. Um, it almost sounded like maybe it was all happening in the dark and he could just hear all these things. Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me if you could just hear the sporting event but not see it. So let's move on from this weird world sort of parallel universe that the fairies seem to be operating in that we can sort of only partially interact with start to ask ourselves, well, what are these fairies? I'm sure many of you will be familiar with the theory that's been going around in the United States probably for 50 years now, popularized by Jacques Vallée, the UFOologist, that fairy stories, these stories about being abducted by fairies, are essentially the same kind of thing as being abducted by aliens, which is not to say that, that really there are no fairies, there are aliens, but... Um, Whatever these things are, alien abductions, fairy abductions are just two sides of the same coin. You might think this, and here's one story that I think might most strongly suggest it. This is a case I found in Jacques Vallée's book, Passport from Magonia, which Vallée strongly argues for this idea that the fairy people are um, the same phenomenon that today is abducting people and uh, taking them often what appear to be spaceships. It's a case from Everettstown, New Jersey, 1957. Quote, John Trasco went outside to feed his dog. He saw a brilliant egg-shaped object hovering in front of his barn. On the way outside, he also encountered a three-foot bean with putty-colored face and large frog-like eyes. It was wearing a green suit with shiny buttons, a green tam o like cap, and gloves with a shiny object at the tip of each finger, it said to the man in broken English, we are a peaceful people, we only want your dog. And then some kind of altercation ensued, because the man later complained that he got green powder all over himself from fighting the creature, which took off in a rush. His wife reported seeing the hovering egg from the house, but did not see the creature. So here we have the story of an attempted abduction associated with a UFO, a hovering egg. But the creature is dressed more like a leprechaun, right? With a green suit with shiny buttons and a green tam o like cap. And so you've got actual crossover there. Jacques Vallée has some other evidence for parallels between fairy abductions and alien abductions. Another thing that he talks about is that, you know, in our alien stories today, we often hear about the aliens collecting things. They want to collect animals. Uh, they want to collect plants. And so we think they're like scientists. And in the fairy stories, the fairies are often collecting things too. Or they're demanding that people, you know, bring them plants or bring them like two animals of a certain kind. So there's a parallel there. I already mentioned that orbs, these spirit lights that people see at night, are uh, associated with both fairies and UFOs. But I have to say, I come down against Jacques Vallée. I come down against this view that fairies are just the flip side of aliens. The main reason is that in reading these fairy stories, 
I was struck at how when people are abducted, one, there's weird parallel to human society, which we don't see when, a, when people are abducted by aliens. We just don't see that. We see one thing over and over, which is that the aliens uh, reproduce like a scientific exam, right? They poke you and they probe you. The fairies don't do that. Fairies often don't seem all that interested in the person they kidnap. They just want to witness and said, you know, they need one live person. There's some kind of like need. So there's a parallel there that there seems to be mutual need for a human for some reason. Maybe you could say it's ritualistic need for a human, that the fairies need a human to witness. Well, and the aliens need a person to poke and probe and experiment on. But um, I also noticed there's a lot more agency in the Irish fairy tales. People abducted have some control over what's happening to them. They can refuse to eat the cakes. If they refuse to eat, they don't get sucked into fairy world forever. And also, uh, when people are abducted, they sometimes escape. They just make a break for it. And I don't see a lot of that happening with aliens. Uh, people seem very passive in our 20th century abduction stories. Often they're described as paralyzed or unable to move. They certainly don't like hang out with you know at a party and talk to the aliens the way people do with fairy people. So I get the, the sense that there's something very different going on here. And the real thing that, that struck me, that seemed just overwhelming, was the range of phenomenon that get grouped into these fairy tales. These good people are invoked to explain these mysterious fairy forts. The good people are invoked to explain the spirit lights, these orbs. Right? We see orbs here in the U.S. just like they see orbs in Ireland, or they used to see orbs in, um, in Ireland. You know, we, we just treat them as an empirical phenomenon, right? You can turn to a lot of your paranormal shows and there'll be a whole episode about orbs, right? They're just talking about orbs. For the people of Ireland, it's just like, oh, that's part of the fairy phenomenon. That's the way the fairies light their paths. I mentioned hauntings. So poltergeist-like activity. We call it poltergeist, literally means noisy spirit. Could you be more blandly descriptive? But in Ireland, or at least in folk Ireland or traditional Ireland, they will say, well, this is the fairy people passing through your property, right? You probably need to build an easement so the fairies can come and go. The stories of strange nocturnal parties, very similar to stories that we hear from the Cajun parts of the United States about spirit parties, people stumbling on parties being held by spirits, often with great music, dancing, merriment, which then disappear at the break of day or the crow of the cock. So I heard a lot of stories about uh, the fairies disappearing at, at dawn, too. And even crop circles, which again, to us, we're just like, oh, crop circles, that's mysterious. And there are lots of different explanations about crop circles. But in uh, folk Ireland, they say, well, yeah, that's just the fairies that they dance in the middle of the night in your field and they leave a circle. So I was struck by the sense that there's a wide range of what we call paranormal phenomenon, which the folk Irish have a unified explanatory account of. It's all due to the good people. But then I thought, well, why are they so confident that they're people? Why are they always described as people? Um, is that part perhaps unique to Ireland? And, you know, I did a cursory search and I found immediately stories that sound exactly like their good people stories coming from North America. I found, um, well, if you can go search, it on, search for it on YouTube, an indigenous man up in Wisconsin 
talking about how he grew up on a reservation and his uncle would have, you know, footsteps, people running around on the porch. And his uncle would get freaked out by this and he'd go outside and he'd have to do a tobacco ritual to keep the weird people off the porch. So it sounds like we're all encountering little people, um, but only the Irish have sort of created a unified account of a wide variety of paranormal phenomenon around the idea of these invisible, mysterious people operating in a parallel world. And I even found some stories that suggested to me that the good people are invoked to explain things that we wouldn't think of as paranormal. Uh, one example, I found a, a euphemism. It sounds like it's sort of a euphemism used by traditional Irish. Uh, if a woman dies in childbirth, they say she was carried, by which they mean carried away by the good people. Um, now, they may not mean that literally, but I saw that as evidence that they're willing to deploy good people's stories to explain something that we might think of as a natural phenomenon. Although here it might not be so much explanation and more of um, a way of talking around it or you know, not directly saying something that's difficult to say. And I also found some interesting stories about uh, women getting caught stealing food who then say, oh, you know what, I'm prisoner of the little people and uh, I know not to eat their food, so I have to sneak away at night and I have to steal food. And that's how I'm keeping myself alive. Uh, and a number of these stories I found, it would be men who would encounter these women. They'd be like, what? Somebody's been stealing my food. So they stay up at night and they catch this woman stealing their food. She tells them the story about how she's a prisoner of the little people. And they say, well, I'd like to help. You know, I'll go free you. The woman says, oh, no, no, nobody can help me except my husband. Only he has power over me. So the, the man will say, well, tell me the name of your husband. The woman gives the name of the husband. The guy goes to find the husband. The husband's remarried. His wife died in childbirth. Um, in one story, this put the guy in a conundrum. He didn't know if he should tell the husband. So they end up talking to a priest about what to do. And the priest says, just leave it. Don't get involved. Priests always seem to just want you to disengage from the little people. And they'll even make you, uh, if you're on your deathbed, They'll make you give up your artifacts if you've ever gotten anything from the little people. So they often do this to uh, women of knowledge, women who uh, cast spells or seem to have some sort of supernatural power. The priests will tell them that they can't get absolution on their deathbed unless they part with their fairy artifacts. And um, that can be a difficult decision for some people. So the Irish don't call them witches. They're women of knowledge, and they don't seem to be bad they're just people who have some sort of sophisticated uh, insight and ability to interact with the, with the fairy world, which overlaps with, may or may not be, um, the same as the spirit world. But the involvement of women here made me think, uh, this sounds like a great story to tell if you're starving, you're stealing food, and you get caught. Well, you blame the fairy people, right? You say, well, the little people took me, and that's why I have to eat your food. And I even thought, maybe that's okay in Ireland. Maybe there have been times when, you know, what do you do with somebody you catch stealing your food? Are you going to take them to the local police or put them in a stockade? Maybe uh, there's an unstated norm that you can sometimes get out of trouble by telling a great story. You know, you tell a story about how the little people made you do it. So my sense here is that the little people, these stories at least, are doing a lot of work. This is not to say that they don't exist. 
you'd really have to do way more research than I've done. But I got the sense that the question of their existence may matter less than the question of what can we use them to explain. So just to wrap this up, uh, the philosopher of science, Thomas Kuhn, coined the idea of a paradigm. A paradigm is a theoretical model that accounts for a wide range of empirical data by positing some underlying explanation. Kuhn's go-to example was Aristotelian physics. The Aristotelians explained various kinds of changes in the physical world by positing four different kinds of matter, fire, earth, water, and air. They said everything naturally seeks its place in the universe. This is why fire rises and air rises while water and earth descend. Everything is trying to go to its natural place. The story gets more complicated from there, but the idea was that it's a, a single model that helps you explain empirical facts. So what if we see the little people as a single model that explains a wide range of paranormal facts from orbs to crop circles to ghost sightings, possibly even alien abductions or just abductions, right, by creatures. The little people can be pulled in to explain all of these things. And maybe that's the basis for their existence. In this case, the model also has some, some other uses besides explanation. It can also be used for entertainment, because we know the Irish love to tell stories. Um, and it can be used to get you out of trouble. And it can be used as a way to sort of talk around difficult things. We say somebody being carried by the fairies, right, instead of saying that they died. So that's my tentative thought, and I would like to submit this as a possible account of the fairy people for all you investigators of the strange and unexplained. Is it perhaps the wrong question to ask, do they exist? Perhaps the right question is to say, what purpose do they serve? A number of excellent books, besides Meeting the Other Crowd by Carolyn Eve Green, uh, Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. This is the book that compares um, folk stories about fairies and lots of other things too, to, um, to UFO abductions. The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by Evans Wentz and The Science of Fairy Tales, an inquiry into fairy mythology by Edwin Sidney Hartland. Those last two books are available for free either on Kindle or on Gutenberg Books. So until next time, if you see something out there in the dark, uh, leave it alone. And if you do get asked to referee a soccer match, make it a tie. For the Spectral Skull Session, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.